0: To Splatter Chatter, Where October Never Dies. My name is Mr. Craigers. I'm going to be one of your hosts tonight. Over there is my co-host, Miss Mel. Hello. She um, is also going to be one of your hosts tonight. That's what co-host means. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. And this has been the Sesame Street segment of our...
1: It's new. It's not new. I feel like we...
0: It's not new. We do some version of it. We do some version of it. Now it's official. Cheryl, write that down. Um, She's tonight is episode 66, Ooh. which, uh, long advertised, is going to be our deep dive anniversary tribute to 1999's The Blair Witch Project.
1: Woo! Which came out today as we are recording this, actually.
0: What? On
1: July 14th.
0: That is spooky Yeah. And unplanned and awesome. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. Ah, very cool. Yeah. So, yes, two decades since the Blair Witch Project uh, debuted amid controversy and mystery and scandal. And here we are today looking back at a very interesting film that turned the tide uh, for horror. So we're going to take a look at the film itself. We're going to do a little bit of, of course, the history behind the movie what has happened in in the 20 years since uh the movie came out and then we'll wrap things up at the end by just sort of looking at found footage um a bit in general yes. from our own personal perspectives
1: yes, uh,
0: But before we do that maybe some quick horror headlines or potential horror updates anything you want to share miss mill
1: um it's not really true horror but because it is it's not even it's like a personal update. Um but because it is directed in such a way as to feel like sci-fi horror, I just want everyone to know that I'm deep in that Chernobyl stuff.
0: <sighs> oh yeah. <laughs>
1: like I watched the whole thing and then I was like and then I listened to the podcast and then I look up all these YouTube videos and somebody's letting me borrow the book, Midnight at Chernobyl. Uh, I went uh, to my mom's mean- earlier today to, like, pick something up, and she just had it on. the. D- I was like, are you watching Chernobyl just casually? And she was like, yeah, I put it on because, you know, I wanted something on in the background while I was cleaning, and I, like, would not shut up about Chernobyl to her.
0: <laughs> it's not exactly a background noise show. I child. know.
1: <laughs> but, but she was no. like, this is good because when I actually go down to sit down to watch it, then I will, like, be primed for certain parts of it was her idea. Uh, okay. And she doesn't like suspense, but I'm like, Mom, you were, like, there when it, like, you were alive when it happened. It should not be all that
0: surprising to you. (laughs) What if she was like, I was there. I don't remember it, though. Which
1: she said to me, like, in that way when I was like, oh, this show's great. And she was, like, trying to question how accurate it was. And she was like, I was there. And I was like, you were not at Chernobyl, were you? Were you?
0: Um, We should go to the doctor.
1: Right. Yeah, we should, we should get you, we should rinse you down. Um,
0: yeah, great show. Yeah, and um, totally horrifying in a yeah in a sci-fi horror. Yeah, kind of, yeah, yeah. Way.
1: Um, so yeah, been been deep in that. Um, I started Dark.
0: Uh, ah, yeah. yeah.
1: Um, I finished the season yeah. of Stranger Things.
0: I have two more
1: episodes. The things gross. Big old yeah, gross demigorgon avatar yeah or mindflayer avatar i guess mindflayer avatar yeah um and the only like big thing that i did see news was that um they already said they're going to release a director's cut of midsummer with a half hour of extra footage it's already a long ass film wow yeah
0: i mean all right then but wow
1: which i'm thinking uh, i a lot of it was what was exercised to get the rating down from N17 to R. Yeah, probably. so that would be a little bit interesting.
0: Probably, yeah. Um, yes, of course. Uh, Midsummer is out and taking the world by storm. Um, a great uh, second showing from Ari Aster. He's he's got this on lock now, although apparently he's going to step away from horror for a bit, which I
1: feel ever. like even if he's like, OK, I'm going to be directing the new live action Disney film,
0: it would still end up being like it'd be the most terrifying. <laughs> like, film. why
1: are we unsettled by this opening
0: of The Little Mermaid? <laughs> right. Um, yeah. Midsummer Really solid. Really good. Um, very different from Hereditary. And yet not at all. <laughs> oh.
1: interesting it's actually the same universe as hereditary it ends as hereditary begins
0: <laughs> it ends as hereditary begins
1: um the shared era, Ari Aster universe you
0: could very much kind of you could very much make a very interesting uh. dialogue about how the two
1: having were- not seen it yet but I did look at some reviews just because I'm like I need to know a little bit what I'm getting into like the non-spoiler reviews um they were saying that this one, they were like, it's a, it's a film about toxic relationships disguised as a horror film, which, you know, I like to tell everyone, horror is never about what it's about. Um, yeah. But they were saying that it's like three parts toxic relation, study in toxic relationship that is like run its course, one part and a very big part fucking wild.
0: And you know, it's so funny whenever one of these, um... Sort of new art house horrors Gets a lot of attention You know these ones that we've been seeing a lot Sort of post 2014 um, People are like oh it's not a horror movie It's a this drama Disguised as a horror movie And I always want to be like no it is a horror movie mm-hmm. It's just What it's really about You know there, there are layers And there are all horror movies Are like that and have always been like that
1: Horror movies have layers Onions have layers Onions have layers
0: Onions are horror movies.
1: Horror movies have layers? Onions have layers. (laughs) You know what I have layers? Parfaits.
0: Anyway. So I... I, (laughs) It's just that thing where because it's successful and it's well-made and it's getting a lot of critical praise and this and that, people want to strip it of its status as horror, which just always really, really irks me because it's still not taken as a legitimate genre. Um for art
1: yeah and even now people like still they have to subgenre it into art house horror to like explain right. away it's, the yeah. ones that are are quote-unquote
0: the you know the good the critically acclaimed ones exactly and really just this these new collection of films that we've been calling art house horror those kinds of films are being made for decades yeah I mean there's that's always you
1: know, good. like yeah if you want to stamp art house horror onto anything where it's like you've got horror
0: that like I mean, look at what Argento was doing in yeah. the 70s. That yeah. was That's what we would call art house horror now. Yeah. You know. So, that's my two cents. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and a valuable two cents it was. <laughs> um, two euros, even. So... What do they use for cents
0: yeah. in Europe? Uh, they have cents. Do they have cents? Yeah. I think so.
1: I think you have to. You've, You've been to Europe.
0: I have. But... Been to a fair amount of countries that didn't use the euro as well, so it was mm. a lot of mixed currency. Rubles. Yeah, I've got like kroner. Yeah, kroner and Franks? Do Franks they, or I guess France uses euros, or do they use francs? The France uses euros. I have pound sterling and whatever Turkey uses. I
1: can't remember. I want to use oh. shillings. <laughs> I think shillings is actually that might be Israel shillings now I'm farthings a penny a hay penny
0: I think everyone, oh they use shekels everyone everywhere should just use oh, the shillings. hay
1: look now I'm learning all sorts of anyway okay. now, now we're going down a, a rabbit
0: hole a rabbit
1: hole unnecessary currency rabbit hole Okay,
0: unnecessary currency rabbit hole which is probably not a good idea but what is a good idea is talking about the Blair Witch project. The Blair Witch. I made up a thing. Uh, I mean, a thing. that was amazing. Thank and you. Beautiful. And they missed out on a huge opportunity to have a theme song now. They should have done that on the, the dumb reboot. They should have found you when you were seven.
1: <laughs> yes. Yeah, we did the math on this Friday because I was telling everyone. I was like, you guys, Blair Witch came out 20 years ago this weekend. <laughs> and, uh. Everyone was like, how old were you when it came out?
0: And you're like, irrelevant. Irrelevant. How old were you?
1: (laughs) Yeah, the one woman at work was like, oh, I was 13 when it came out. And I was like, why didn't you go see it? I'm pretty sure it was (laughs) PG-13. Yeah, I'm
0: pretty sure it was. Was it?
1: Uh, Yeah, I think. Well, actually, it might have been R, because they said fuck a lot.
0: Yeah. I think they probably got an R rating, especially in 99.
1: Yeah. So never mind. You would have had to have snuck in. Which you could have done. And,
0: and Also, you know, in the late 90s, that was part of the course. Yeah, but um,
1: yeah, so- well, I don't know when the, the two fucks roll went into effect.
0: Yeah, we could look that up. But we're not going to right now. No. What we're going to do right now is we're going to take a listen to the trailer.
1: Do-do-do. I just want to apologize to Mike's mom and Josh's mom and my mom. I am so so sorry (laughs) because it is my fault (laughs) because it was my project Three missing Montgomery College students continues in Frederick County tonight. Ten days and thousands of man hours have been unable to produce any clues. We have a few leads, a few other options we want to take advantage of
0: and just try to put together some, uh, some pieces to this puzzle. Do you believe the occult may be involved in the disappearance of your son?
1: I'm so scared. So I've got, I've got theme songs for days,
0: theme songs for days, trailers for days, trailers for days. I mean, just the one, but, (laughs) but you could watch it for a day if you want. You could, I'm sure you could go find all the different TV spots,
1: which for the record for anyone who has not seen Blair Witch or was like, you know what? I want to watch Blair Witch again. It is free on YouTube. You just have to, it's free with ads, but it is free to watch on YouTube right now. Very good. Yeah. So you can you can hit that up if you're like, you know what I should I should watch again before I listen to this is Blair
0: Witch. So there's no excuse for no one to have seen it because it's free. Yep. Go. Go right now. Pause us. We're fine. We yeah. recorded this prior. Yes. We're, We're patient. us. Go watch it if you haven't seen it. Actually go watch it if you have seen it. Come back. Come back. Hey, welcome back. Yeah, there you are. So <laughs> I think we'll start things off by doing a little bit of a walkthrough through through the plot.
1: The movie you just saw.
0: Everyone is refreshed. Yes. Uh, Would you like to kick us off, Miss Bell? I sure would. Great.
1: It is October 1994. I was two. (laughs) I was two years old. (laughs) Miss Craigs was four.
0: I was four. It was a grand old time. I wonder what I was for Halloween that year. October 1994. I have a picture of me. I don't know what I was supposed to be because I'm going to say it was probably a princess,
1: but it looks like they put me in a tiny, tiny wedding dress. And it's like I had just learned to walk like it was around that time period. And I have a big can of Coke in my hand. Like, I don't know if I was drinking it or I just picked it up off the floor. And I'm like smiling at the camera. I was like two dressed as a bride. I don't even know. So I'm going to say, Atlanta. yes, that's what I was doing in October, 1994, based on photo, photographic evidence.
0: If 94 was the first year I went trick or treating, no, I don't think it was. I think I was three the first time I went trick or treating and I was a crayon. What color? I don't know. I don't know about 94.
1: What color were you? Do you know?
0: I was a red crayon.
1: Ooh. Like that book, red. Yeah. I do like that book. Anyway, <laughs> while we were doing that in October 1994, uh, the film students uh, from a unnamed university, I do believe they might name the university in the dossier or potentially the Probably documentary. Like it's not important. They're film students. Um, yeah. Heather, who is the producer... Uh, director kind of creative mind behind this film project and these two camera guys she schleps along with her mike and josh um heather and mike i always get mike and josh confused mike i don't know why i mix their names up josh is the little guy
0: the josh is the one who's taller is josh the one who's taller yeah he's the one that's taller and has the ponytail yes you're right She knows beforehand, and then he's friends with Mike.
1: Yeah, I don't know why. Like, I've seen this movie, and I've watched it, obviously, recently, and yet, recalling them, I'm like, Mike, Josh. So, yes. I,
0: always, I always remember Mike, but, like, like same thing, you know, I don't know how many times I've seen this movie. Probably 10 or 12. but And I always remember Mike, but I never can ever remember Josh's name. It's
1: because Josh disappears, yeah, I think, so crazy. early. I'm always like, Jake? Jake? John? Je- Jeff. Curly. <laughs> <laughs> so you've got the two white guy names that I get confused. But Heather, as Mr. Kroger says, knows Josh. Um, they work together on a couple projects. Uh, if you
0: watch they're the documentary, not, they're what? Not as the common misconception is. They're not a couple.
1: No, they are not. Josh has a girlfriend who you can see in the documentary um, Curse of the Blair Witch. They interview her. That's right. Um and the professor talks a little bit how Heather was very much a go getter. He thought she had, you know, um a very big, you know, promise of a career in the film industry. Um, she was into documentaries, which he really liked, and Josh was kind of a fly by night, do only as much as you need to get a passing grade type guy. Um, which you kinda get from him. He's kind of a little bit of a nineties stoner type, um mm-hmm. who's good with the camera. And uh, Mike is his friend who also works camera stuff. Who's seems like a nice little fellow, uh, jolly happy to be here. Little, um, Hobbit. little Hobbit friend. Um, but they set out to Maryland, to Burkittsville, Maryland, uh, which was formerly known as Blair, because uh, they are filming a documentary on something Heather finds interesting, which is the uh, urban legend or myth of the Blair Witch. Mm. Yes, and uh, they start interviewing. They pretty much kick off pretty quickly. I mean you get your, your cute little shots of them in buying like cliff bars or nineties cliff bars in uh grocery stores and prepping to go, but um they start out interviewing some local residents and some of them um, you know, are happy to talk about it, some of them are a little bit weirder, um and have a little bit of some more interesting stories to tell. And what are some of those stories,
0: Mr. Greggers? so we get some strange stories about the legend of the Blair witch supposedly uh, she was a woman from the 18th century uh, Ellie Kedward who was exiled from the county of Blair for practicing witchcraft um, well her, her punishment sorry was was death by exile so she was sent off into the woods
1: kind of like the beginning of the witch
0: without food or supplies or whatever and just there shall she remain until she dies. And you know, being a witch, she supposedly either didn't die or did, but is a witch and is back and doing all sorts of terrible things about town. So the locals are telling us very strange stories, uh sightings of her, and um tying them into weird history in the area. The main weird history is um of course, the story of Rustin Parr. Rustin Parr? An old uh, so crotchety, sort of cropsy type figure who um, was living in the woods and living in the hills surrounding Blair and started to be suspected when children started disappearing in Burkittsville in the 1940s. 40s. 40s. Turns out. The townspeople were right to suspect crazy old Rustin Parr because he had kidnapped uh, eight children and killed seven of them, supposedly because the Blair Witch told him to mm-hmm. do so. So, these are the main. This is the main story we want to take away from what the locals are telling us about yes. the Blair Witch. Yes. Oh, and maybe also about um, a group of uh, hunters. That were killed and left bound in ritualistic fashion at a, um, Coffin a Rock. site out in the woods known as Coffin Rock.
1: Yes. Yes. Those fun little uh, fishermen. Yeah. They're funny. I like them. They're yeah. on screen for like 30 seconds, but they have a nice <laughs> repertoire. Whoever those guys were. Um,
0: they were good. Because the one is like, they're almost like an old married couple.
1: Yeah, well, I think it's like, you find I mean, out in the dossier their they're father-in-law and son-in-law uh, okay, is their I relationship.
0: <laughs> yeah. Because the younger guy, he's kind of like, oh, you. Yeah. He, oh, but the older guy's like, no, don't do it. He's like, I'm
1: telling the damn story. <laughs>
0: I'll tell it, I'll tell it. So They're fun. They're fun. They're a fun group. A fun bunch.
1: Yes, they are. Uh, There's a couple other weird... The um, old woman. The crazy old old woman. woman. (laughs) There's always one.
0: She talks about seeing the Blair Witch one day when when she was a girl. She was fishing with her father and she saw the Blair Witch. And the Blair Witch was covered in black hair. um, Yeah. And, like, hovering above the ground.
1: That woman is also funny.
0: She's very strange. She claims to yeah. be a historian. She, she looks like this woman who used to volunteer and, like, shell with a library. Aw. Yeah.
1: What stories did she tell of the Blair Witch? None. None? She had no stories.
0: She had no stories. Step it up. Lisa.
1: Yes. Uh, so they collect so, their preliminary research.
0: So, yeah. They're collecting their preliminary research. They're doing that, you know, If you've ever seen a horror documentary, if you've ever seen a paranormal show, this is what they're doing, right? Yeah. All these segments with interviewing the locals, they're filming them in black and white. Heather is giving us history of the area and her best sort of, like, investigation, discovery, narrator voice.
1: Yes. And Um, we also get the tidbit here that only one of the cameras collects sound. Yes. Which will be important later. Which is.
0: Important detail: uh, the Absolutely. black and
1: white camera does not do sound; it only does
0: visuals. Mm-hmm. Keep that in so mind. This becomes this becomes pretty important. So, with that out of the way, it comes time for the trio to actually move into the, the woods surrounding Burkittsville, the woods of Blair that the witch supposedly haunts. So they pack up. They're they're well prepared. I mean,
1: they got their REI gear.
0: Yeah, you got to give them that. Like, they are well-stocked. Heather mentions later on that she enjoys hiking as a um, hobby, you yeah. know, as a way to relax. Um, so they go out, and they uh, leave their car by the trail. They have a rudimentary map with that.
1: Because it they- was the 90s, and you could leave your car wherever you wanted.
0: <laughs> you could. You totally could. And they head off into the woods and they're going to try and find some of these hot spots, right? They're going to go look for Coffin Rock. They're going to see if they can find um, the graves of the children, I think, is something they're looking mm-hmm. for. And then the house uh, that yes. Rustin Parr occupied. Where, Rustin Parr's house. Um, the children were murdered one by one in the basement. Yes. In pairs. I know that's weird to say, but keep it in mind. We'll, we'll keep at him. So, they're moving into the woods. They're they're having a relatively good time. The of course they're filming here and they're filming there. Um, they stumble across what they think might be uh, the graves of the children. A very old cemetery because they find seven graves. Yeah. They're like great, cool. This is a spot number one. This looks awesome. Uh, It's getting late. Let's set up camp. So they set up camp and they call it a day. What happens at night though?
1: So um, this is the first kind of, I mean, I guess after the first night they were like, yo, I heard a weird deer in the woods. Nothing really happened. This night uh, they park it next to these like little stone towers, effigies that have been set up. Um, and during the pitching of the the tents and stuff, uh, Josh accidentally kicks over uh, one of the rock tower thingies, mm-hmm. um, and you know, Heather's like, "Oh my god, you fucking asshole!" Um, you know, in the way that you're like, "Oh my god, dude, you didn't just do that." Puts it back together. It's whatever. It's fine. They're setting up camp around like three ish in the morning. It's pretty dark out. Uh, we Heather awakens, is filming. Um, because they hear movement around them. They hear some snapping twigs. Sounds like something, someone, an animal, or something is walking. Um, they might even hear a little bit of like voice type sounds. They're not really sure. Um, it's nothing too. It's a little freaky, but nothing too terrible. Um, they wake up the next day, <clears throat> and they're like, "Well, that was a little bit weird. This has been fun." but it's time to go home juices juices so they're like we're gonna hike back to the car um and heather with her handy dandy map now remember this is before gps and all that good that's why part of this too and something we've said before is this is a film and many people say this is a film that would not have worked outside of its time period yeah um because they're using maps they're using compasses um they don't have cell phones Um, They don't even have walkie-talkies on them, I don't think. Um, So, but they're using the compass, and the thing is, is that Heather's kind of, to get to the cemetery, she kind of took a shortcut off the map um, without really telling anyone too much. She just said she knew where she was going. Now, on the way back, they're getting a little bit lost and a little bit turned around. And it's at the point where now the sun's going down, and they still have not found the road where the car is. Um, And they're agitated, and they're like, okay, we have to make camp. Uh, And they're obviously agitated because they want to go home. They only brought enough clothes and supplies for the two nights of camping. Um, Josh has to get the camera back uh, on Monday or Tuesday um, because they're renting it from the university. They're getting a little agitated. But they go to bed. Um, Once again, they are woken by snapping twigs, strange noises, uh, but nothing sort of... Super, they think some locals maybe are messing with them. They wake up the next morning after not being able to, they open the tent the night before, don't really see anything or feel anyone near them. They go back to bed uh, and they wake up the next morning and uh, three stone towers, cairns, have been placed outside their tent, Mm -hmm.
0: which obviously freaks them out. And this is where things start to deteriorate. This is where things start to deteriorate. So now they're unnerved. Now they're one day behind schedule. They're one day lost, yeah. basically. Though, of course, no one wants to put that word out there because once you do, you can't take it back, and it changes the air of the situation.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: But it is freaky, and it's it's starting to creep them out. Um, this is when Mike tells them, um, I, th- I think, that he has lost. Oh, no, sorry. Talk about this first. Um, yes. This is when Heather reveals that the map is missing. Mm-hmm. She can't find it that morning. And there's what's really their first huge fight. They've been kind of squabbling at each other here and there beforehand um, about the map. The boys think that Heather is keeping the map hidden because she wants to stay out there longer. She wants to increase the tension and the fear for the documentary. They're starting to get annoyed with her that she's sort of filming, um, their interactions when it has nothing to do with the project. Um, but Heather's insistent, she doesn't have it. Um, she accuses them of taking it as a, to freak her out as a prank. They don't have it. This obviously adds to the tension. Um, but they, they still – they head out. They're not going to get anywhere if they stay still, so they keep hiking on. They don't find their way back to the car. They're still totally lost. They're not even sure if they're heading uh, in the direction they need to be heading in. I think they just decide to head north yeah. or south.
1: Yeah, because they but, the the idea was that they'd eventually hit the edge of the forest somewhere.
0: Yeah, because it's not like a huge area of forest. Yeah. I guess.
1: And I yes, and Heather makes too. the point that it's very hard to get lost in America these days, and it's even harder
0: to stay lost. Right, and it's harder to stay lost. Hmm. Yeah. So, late in their uh, on their second day lost, they come across. Um, it's not not exactly a grove, sort of like a quasi-clearing where they discover very strange stick figures have been assembled and suspended from the trees and are planted on sticks in the ground. And they look vaguely humanoid. Yeah. Yeah. Um, This is a very recognizable Symbol to us now to communicate uh, the Blair Witch Project. You probably recognize it. It's it looks like an inverted triangle in the center with like two sticks at the bottom, potentially for legs, two shorter ones maybe for arms, and then a head like a nubby head at the top. And they're all of varying sizes, and like some of them are. Bundles of sticks, and some of them are just solid sticks, and it's a pretty creepy sequence. Yes. Um, And there is
1: one in particular that stands out.
0: Yeah. Amongst them. Yeah. Which. (laughs) Which. Yes. So they get really creeped out about that, and then skedaddle away from. um, Well, it's about time to be hitting the dusty trail. About time to be hitting the old dusty trail, except they've been on the dusty trail for a while now, you guys, and it's just not working out. And of course they're forced to spend another night in the woods. And this night they start hearing even worse sounds, even louder sounds to this night. They start hearing children, What sounds like children playing, What sounds like children laughing and running and then screaming. And then other strange noises and then something collides with the tent or seemingly attacks the tent, causing all three of our heroes to flee into the woods in the middle of the night.
1: Is this what happened to the people at Dialof Pass? Maybe. Maybe.
0: <sighs> Maybe. And they're running and they're freaking out and... Um, They sort of hide and duck for cover and then they hear sounds close by them and then they start running again and they're running and they're running and they're running and and they run all night. And then the sun comes up and they make their way back to their campsite in the early morning. And then what do they find? So they
1: come back and they see that their tent, their campsite has just been trashed. The tent's been hacked at, it's been dismantled, their stuff's been ripped out of their bags and tossed everywhere. Um, In particular, Josh's equipment is covered with a kind of weird goo. Mm. Um, There's like gross, sort of gelatinous material on his bag. And he's freaked out because he's like, why is my bag the only bag that was like really fucked with? And he's kind of freaked out Uh, and they're all pretty pissed at this point. Um, Mm -hmm. It's uh, it's getting high tensions. Um, They're very lost. Um, somewhere in the course of this stuff, uh, they cross a river, um, only to find at the end of the day, despite heading the same direction all day, they're back at the same crossing. It's the same branch that they recognize, uh, at which point, um, Heather just kind of breaks down and admits something's very wrong. Uh, Josh is freaked out and pissed. Mike starts laughing, um. Mike finds it very funny, um, they immediately get mad at him thinking he's done something with them, he's been been dicking them around or something, he reveals, um, that in a moment of anger and frustration a couple days ago, he kicked the map into the river, um, because he didn't think it was doing anything for them, uh, and he hid it from them, and now they are super lost, they are very pissed, um. This is the first of many of Heather's screamy moments um which I think become sort of iconic later in life um for us culturally but she's screaming at him she's yelling at him Josh runs over like he's going to beat the crap out of him um eventually they calm down um but the point is made that and this is the this is a trope that gets repeated many times failingly uh, later in in other found footage but um mike makes the point that heather's always filming she keeps filming things and mike you know also agrees um that or mike and josh um i see the white the white man names just confuse the hell out of me but the point is made that heather is like her big contribution to this is that she's filming and it's getting frustrating uh that they always have a camera in their face
0: Mm
1: -hmm. um she, you know, Mike eventually makes the point that she does it because it makes it all seem not real to her. Um, that if she can have the camera, the, then she's then she's talking to somebody, that there's something there's some connection to the outside world that she can look at their situation through the viewfinder and feel like she's not part of it. Um, and this is the point where, essentially, that sort of filter goes away. She continues filming, but this is very real now. Mm-hmm. Um, but after their breakdown and, and their fight, they decide, okay, like the only way we're going to get through this is to just deal with it together. It'll be okay. We'll figure it out. We're now super lost and we're super late and people are going to be looking for us because we were supposed to be home like a day, two days ago. Um, we'll, it'll get sorted. So um, they go to make camp again. Um, and I believe the night is fairly uneventful. It's not too terrible. Um, but what happens the next morning is
0: a bit upsetting. It's a bit upsetting. Um, so yeah, so they make it through the night without incident uh, this time around, or maybe it's the biggest incident of all, because in the morning, Josh is gone. Josh has disappeared. Mm -hmm. He's not in the tent. He's not in the campsite. He's not taking a quick poop. He is gone.
1: Can you imagine though? Like, that's the most annoying part about all this. It's like, damn, like, what do I do? What? Do I poop what? in the Do I poop in the woods?
0: You do. Can I? Can I? I guess
1: eventually I just have to.
0: Have we even been eating all that much? Right. Yeah. <laughs> um. So Josh has disappeared, and Heather and Mike are trying to find him, and they're shouting for him. Kind of another one of those iconic
1: Josh! moments that Miss Mel
0: mentioned. <sighs> yeah, Heather's screaming for Josh. Um, and there's no sign of him. Yeah. Nothing. Till is a sign of him. small bundle of sticks.
1: Well, wait, they didn't find that
0: yet. Oh, they didn't find that yet. Yes. I thought they found that in the morning. It happens
1: after the night of Josh's screaming.
0: Oh, it happens the next morning. Yes. My bad, you guys. My bad, you guys. Scratch that. They find nothing. Instead, they just keep on keeping on because you have to keep on keeping on. Yes, I'm pretty sure that's how it goes. Is yeah, no. They, the, I yeah. think that you say that. I think you're right. Yeah. Um, because the day, I I don't think anything really happens that day. No, because they're I mean, afraid they're to change, move. They move on because they have to. Yeah. Um, because they can't just stay there. But they don't. They don't find Josh. They both like have moments. I think where this is where they each like have a breakdown and like comfort the other.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, and then it's night. Like, once again, it's night, and they have to spend in the woods and they hear, um, screaming in the woods and they recognize the voice as Josh's. So they take off and they're trying to find him, but it's, it's too dark and they can't exactly pinpoint where his voice is coming from and then it stops and it cuts out and then it's back and no success. Um, It's at this point that they start actually entertaining the possibility out loud, instead of just in passing snippy comments to each other, that they're being taunted and hunted by the Blair Witch. And that this was a ploy to get them to leave the safety of their tent, however safe the tent really was. Mm -hmm. So the next morning, they find, right? Yes. Now I'm right. Okay. So the next morning, they find a bundle of sticks tied together with a piece of uh, blue cloth. And upon further inspection, Heather sees that this piece of blue cloth is a torn piece from the shirt that Josh was wearing uh, on their hike. And as she is untying the piece of cloth and the bundle of sticks she opens it up she notices there's like weird stains on it and she opens it up and she finds uh an ear and or no teeth what are teeth she, she finds teeth teeth she and a tongue teeth. and a tongue that's an what ear. i am
1: <laughs> you're like it's a sense
0: it's a sense inside the piece of josh's shirt mm-hmm. and it's covered in blood and it's wet and it's sticky and it looks uh, relatively fresh yeah. for lack of a, of a less disgusting It has word. been recently removed. That has been recently removed. And so she freaks the fuck out. But she does not tell Mike. Mm-hmm. Bad move. Yeah. Then after another unsuccessful day unable to locate Josh once again, unable to get back to the car or figure out where the hell they are. Night comes again. What happens on their last night? So
1: first of all, the iconic shot of Blair Witch happens on this night um, where Heather has her monologue apologizing to her family, to Mike's family, to Josh's family. And it's that famous shot where she's up in her own face and she's got the snot running out of her nose. Uh, and, and stuff that's it's a big one so it's, savor it <laughs> yeah um so their last night um they once again hear josh screaming uh and this time they're like fuck this we're gonna figure like mike is is he's like no i'm gonna figure this out mike like rushes out of the tent and heather's like oh my god don't leave me alone and rushes after them they each have a camera uh mike has the this camera with sound, Heather has the black and white camera, I believe.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, so she runs after him. And this is where it gets very interesting because of the soundscaping um, and it bouncing between both cameras as they sort of stay separated, catch back up with each other, etc. cetera. Uh, it becomes very, very, very uh, disorienting, this sequence. Mm -hmm. um but they they head out into the woods because mike's like i'm gonna i'm gonna find him and they see this house that they don't recall seeing um that morning or that evening when they um went to pitch their campsite uh and it's kind of run down um broken windows there's no like door on it uh they rush inside because they're like oh mike's or josh's screams are coming from inside the house um and inside the house is
0: just like the phone calls
1: <laughs> the phone calls and Josh's screams are coming from inside the house. Inside the house. Um, but inside the house, there are, there, it's like fairly empty. Like there's some turned over furniture and stuff like that, but it's pretty, pretty empty. But there's all these handprints on the wall. Uh, it's, and we see these through the black and white camera and then Josh's or Mike's night vision. So we can't see the color, but it's assumed it's probably blood. Uh, I guess it could be mud, but it's probably. Given how things have gone till this point, it's probably blood. Um, and now, it's very freaky. And now uh, Josh's voice is kind of bouncing around the house because they hear it from upstairs. And Mike runs upstairs, and Heather's like, "Oh my God, stop! We have to stay together!" and chases after him. Um, and then Mike hears Josh yelling from downstairs in the basement. And he's, you know, he's like, you in the basement. Like he's very manic at this point. And he rushes downstairs and Heather's screaming for him. And we hear her voice get more and more distant as, um, Mike is running down into the basement and she's kind of like struggling to keep up with him. But she's also like, what the fuck is on the walls? What is this? Like kind of taking it in a little bit. Um, and then all of a sudden, you know, uh, Mike Gets down to the basement and then all of a sudden we hear a sort of thud. The camera drops, continues rolling, but that's all we see is that. Um, what does Heather find when she finally
0: makes it down to the basement? So Heather makes her way down there. We can tell she really doesn't want to. She's, uh, she's hysterical, right, at this point. Uh-huh. Um, she's, she's screaming the whole time she tries to follow Mike downstairs and it doesn't seem like a terribly big house, but for some reason they're, they're, they're separated by, yeah. some distance. it takes, it takes other, uh, there's a gap between when Mike goes down there and when Heather gets down there, yeah. we're not, again, we're not entirely sure how long it is. Um, but at one point she's right behind Mike and then suddenly she's not. Yeah. So she goes into the basement, she's screaming. She, we, we don't really see anything. And then, um, as she gets there, Her screams reach a fever pitch, and we see that Mike is standing in the corner facing the wall. Then there's another smack, another thud, something presumably attacks Heather. The camera drops. Silence. Silence. Credits. Credits. It's wild. is the Blair Witch
1: Project. Yes. So good,
0: guys. A lot And Blair Witch.
1: And it's, the best part is, too, is watching it with people and convincing them that it's real. It sometimes still works. You think it shouldn't in today's day and age, but sometimes it does.
0: Sometimes it does. You have to find the right person. We can yes. find the right people. Yes. <laughs> We're friends with a lot of people who don't like horror.
1: Yes. Um, and, yeah, and that's part of what we'll get into in a few minutes, is that Blair Witch pretended it really happened. Uh, and that was part of it, but, um, yes, so it's an 82, 82, minutes of no, I don't think there's a single jump scare, just atmosphere, tension. Some of it's even in black and white because of the nature of the one old camera they're using. Um, just found footage, just found footage, man, found footage. Um, and that story at the end relates to one of the earlier stories in the beginning, uh, where Rustin Parr supposedly, uh, Made one child face the corner while he killed another, uh, which is why you had one child living from the eighth ever taken mm-hmm. supposedly that's the myth supposedly. that's one of the fun things about Blair Witch is it's kind of one of the original modern examples of uh, people getting mad because they wanted to know <laughs> mm-hmm. uh what the monster was or what the truth was and right. it doesn't it doesn't answer anything um and back in no, the days yeah, of the yeah, with-
0: their
1: fate was. No, and back in the days of the internet movie database message boards, people would go back and forth about what they thought happened, their theories. There was theories that Mike and Josh were, like, fucking with Heather the whole time. There was theories that um, you know, the boring theory that it was all in their heads and it was a couple of local kids fucking around with them. You know, just various people, people.
0: Oh yeah, that they got deliveranced. Yeah. That, uh, there was, yeah, like that. Yeah. The Par, ghosts, that it was the witch, that Josh went insane, and, and that Mike goes insane, Heather goes insane, you know.
1: Yeah. And the thing is, is all of them are plausible. The film allows for any of those possibilities because you never see anything inadvertently supernatural. Nope. Um, and while it's freaky and weird, there's nothing there that technically can't be explained by somebody who's fucking with you or you know, you got lost in the woods, you know, et cetera. Um, And it's just a really great, great, great ending. Like it's just such a perfect ending, Um, which I think lends itself to how well, not even, I mean, the writing, but the mythology of, of the story, because that's what it relies on at the end is our, is our early exposition into the mythology of the Blair Witch um, kind of earns that ending that we see. Yeah. Speaking of the writing, the screenplay for this film was 35 pages, with the dialogue and the majority of the events completely improvised during mm-hmm. the filming. Yeah, which is wild.
0: Yes. Yeah. Um, um, and it, but an intentional. Yes. Um, they want because they wanted to um, to have that sense of realism, right? That. Yeah. That sense that um, that these were real people because that was a big part of the hook and the marketing. Um, so it needed to feel as natural as possible. They um, and they wanted to to have as much real fear actually from the performers as possible. So they weren't exactly told what was going to happen to them or what was going to be going on. They it was like here's the rough outline and like these are your points are these are the goals that you need to accomplish by the end of this scene but like you know whatever else happens in between yeah. is kind of up to us and up to you
1: yeah they were basically given coordinates that they had to reach by the end of the day like geographic coordinates um to use their compasses and their map because they did off screen have a map obviously but um they're right. basically told by the end of the day you've got to get here um whatever happens between here and there We'll find out. Um, And one of the famous things is that that moment where they realized they're back at the same river was truly a moment of just frustrated anguish um, from Heather Donahue. uh, Because at that point, you know, they'd been filming for quite a few days now. um, You know, and they were told, go here, go left, go here, go up, you know, whatever. And to find themselves back at the same spot they started really just frustrated the hell out of her. Um, So that was a genuine reaction when she sort of goes to her knees and starts crying when she realizes it's the same river. River. Um, The
0: same log.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Um, And, you know, the map kicking and losing the map and that sort of thing. And just all of it was essentially completely improvised. Um, They had the mythology. I think they had maybe the ending, but how they got there was entirely up to... um, the actors who they found through like casting calls in like backstage magazine. Um, and all it said was, you know, good skills in improv. Um, Cause mm-hmm. they weren't looking for anyone super specific. Um, they just wanted somebody who would be able to carry essentially dialoguing a film for, for a week in the woods.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, and Heather Donahue is from right around here in my neck of the woods. So I'm offended that none of us are having a Blair witch Movie showing at any of the theaters. Well, maybe you need to organize one. I do. For Heather. And invite her. Yeah, she's from Upper Darby. She's actually from Stone's Throw from where I live now.
0: Stone's
1: Yes. Um. Yeah. But yeah, it's... Yeah,
0: it's so a- let's talk a little bit about... Oh, sorry.
1: No, I was just so- saying it's wild.
0: That is wild. Yeah. So... So we keep referring to, you know, they. That who is they? Who is they? Who is they? So the idea for Blair Witch Project was the um, brainchild of uh, Daniel Myrick and Eduardo Sanchez, two uh, filmmaking students from the University of Central Florida. They were sitting around one day and talking about filmmaking and talking about horror and talking about what's scary and sort of came to the agreement that. They were more scared when they would watch documentaries about paranormal phenomenon than they were watching horror movies because they knew that horror movies were fictional. Um, of course, and for paranormal phenomenon, question mark? Yeah. So they decide, okay, let's combine the two and create, uh, and create a documentary style horror film for a project so they're like great they partner up with a couple of friends from film school a couple buddies and they create their own uh production company hacks films yes a nod of course to uh Hackson, witchcraft through the ages um a 1922 film that we talked about in our witches episode yes we do it's pretty great so, like Miss Mill said, they put out the casting call for our actors that have um, a strong background in improvisation. They get their main three players and then they uh, head out to um, Maryland where they're going to film in the woods. Uh, they filmed, I don't think, for like a week or something like that.
1: Yeah, they filmed uh. for about a week because they had like 20 plus hours of footage. Um, the movie takes place over the course of like five days,
0: I think. Um, right, yeah, it's not quite as long as they, but they filmed for longer. Yeah, they filmed for a bit longer. So, in developing the mythology for their film, they um, pulled a little bit from real life. Uh, the Blair Witch herself, whose name is Ellie Kedward, is um, supposedly an anagram of Edward Kelly, <laughs> um, a famous 16th century mystic. And Rustin Parr, um, the uh, aforementioned um, creepy cabin owner and uh, child killer, um, supposedly it was meant to be an anagram of for Rasputin, um, yes. and most likely pulled from the legend of Cropsy. Yes. Yes.
1: Um, and the legend of the witch itself has a kind of has its um, start in the Bell Witch.
0: Um, right, right. And, and course, that
1: sort of thing. Right. And then, you know, Salem, witch
0: yeah. trials, nods and what have you, um, cinemographically and filmographically, uh, Sanchez and, um, Myrick were inspired by, um, previous horror documentaries. They were, popular, which was not the first, just put that out there.
1: Um, uh, Cannibal Hall, Like
0: Legend of Boggy Creek. Which I well, I guess
1: Cannibal Holocaust wasn't a documentary. It was just a found footage film.
0: It, it was like that weird, like, half. Yeah. Supposed to be documented footage. yeah. Yeah, Cannibal Holocaust, Legend of Boggy Creek, Chariot of the Gods, um, the television series In Search Of, um, and some more traditional, of course, influences, like Alien, The Shining, Jaws, The Omen. Um, there's an interview where they talk about Jaws being a big influence because like uh, the, the whole hiding the monster thing, right? You know, the yes. witch doesn't actually appear in the movie and as a result, that increases the um, the tension for the viewer. So they grab some investors, um, they create uh, a faux documentary um, along with a bunch of um, stuff from their props department, fake newspaper articles and footage and um, missing persons posters. And they, you know, they take that to the studios. Um, they get their documentary on TV, and everyone's like, "Cool, great, this sounds awesome." Yes. Um, they get their cast, and they head out into uh, Seneca Seneca Creek State Park uh, in Montgomery County, Maryland, which is actually a stone's throw from me.
1: We should go. We should go trapezing.
0: We should go traipsing, See what happens to us. Yes. And they start filming on October twenty third, nineteen ninety seven. Ooh. Which, good for you.
1: Yeah. yeah. Yeah, right? They were like, we're also going to make you film right before Halloween while we're doing mm-hmm. this. Mm-hmm. Great.
0: So, um, some of the townspeople interviewed in the film were not actors. Some of them were planted by production, um, unknown to the cast, and some of them were just locals.
1: who <laughs> were like, yeah, sure, I've heard of this.
0: I'm on, got it, I'm in, I'm in, I'm in. Uh, Heather Donahue, I mean by the way, I don't think we said all of the actors like use their own names. they the same names. Um, Heather Donahue had never worked with a camera before, like a, a real camera. So she had to kind of learn as they were going. Um, she said she modeled her care, the character of Heather after a director she had once worked with um, that was self-assured a planner um, and Uh, very meticulous, but um, could be a bit scattered and confused in times of crisis. Nice. Which I think comes across.
1: Yeah, no, for sure. Yeah, and like, that's the thing too, is these actors kind of got freedom to paint these characters however they wanted, and then they sort of built the story, or the actual plot around these characters, so like...
0: Yeah, which is really... It's freeing and cool.
1: Yeah. And, like, when they made the do- the ultimate documentary, like, the full documentary that they were showing the summer before... or the start of the summer before it came out, you know, and they were just talking about these kids. Um, you know, like, every... You know, you watch it, they interview, like, their college professors, their, their significant others, etc. Um, and you can see, like, the characters that these actors built through their work over these eight days. And, you know, you've got this documentary embellishing on it building it up you know just it's very it has to be i imagine for an actor kind of a fun i guess theoretically not the being in the woods for eight days part but a fun thing to be able to just like say like okay like just build a character and you know this is kind of what you need to be doing but based on that make me a character and we'll design the rest of the film around it
0: yeah because so that's incredibly rare for an actor to be given that much creative freedom
1: and it really is a testament to, like, stories character has to come first, um, which is yeah. something that is so lost, I think, in a lot of these very low-budget B-horror films where they're like, what if there was a haunted blender or, you know, whatever? And then they're like, okay, like, let's just grab some stock characters to toss in there. Whereas here, they were like, these are the characters, these are their motivations, this is what they're doing, this is in the environment we're dropping them in, what happens, happens.
0: right. Yeah, because we have to. This film doesn't work if we don't care about them. Yeah. Um, and even more so than than in any other type of film, these three actors really had to to make us care and yeah. really and really do that work, um, which is impressive. So during filming, all of them were given um, CP16 film and high eight video cameras. There was an actual, of course, cinematographer present. His name was Neil Fredericks. Um, As Miss Mel said, every day they were given clues and um, coordinates as to their location through secret messages that were hidden in the film cans. Um, And these uh, had instructions um, to sort of help them improvise what was meant to happen that day. Um, Other fun details, they got the teeth. Uh, from a dentist, they to were Maryland. real human teeth, yeah, they were real human teeth, um the
1: tongue we yeah. hope was not real,
0: hopefully the tongue was not real, um and a lot of uh sort of like the sequences with the sounds and the running um was influenced by uh one of the producers on set. His name was Greg Hale, he had been in the military trainee, and I got he had been a military man, and part of his training there we go. Was, Sorry. Um, they would do an exercise where uh, enemy soldiers would hunt down um, new recruits uh, over three days in the middle of the woods. Yeah. Uh, and so he pulled from that a lot um, because the crew was heavily involved in making those creepy sounds at night and um, harassing the actors, you know, um, dep- depriving them of food and shaking the tent and all those things like the actors didn't know when or where that kind of stuff was going to happen in mm-hmm. order to increase the authenticity. Um, an interesting note that we can talk about is that the sequence where they're, um,
1: they're running from the tent. Yeah. when they're This running... is, this is a famous debate as well. Yeah. On when they're
0: running away from the tent. Supposedly a member of the crew was, um, out there as well with them, sort of quasi-chasing them, decked out all in white. I think he was wearing, like, a white...
1: Imagine the, the morph suits.
0: Yeah, yeah, like, literally head to toe. Like, his face was covered as well. And supposedly, the plan was um, for the camera to, at one point, not pan over because they're running, but to give us a glimpse of this figure in white, which was meant to be the witch. Um, But during that sequence, either one of the actors who had the camera or the actual cinematographer didn't move the camera over there and they just, they were just like, ah, whatever. They never went back and redid that sequence or anything. So you
1: hear her going, you hear her her say there's something on like the hill or whatever. And she goes, what the fuck is that? What
0: what the fuck is that? Um, Um, But
1: we never see what it is, which I think actually even works even better.
0: I know. I'm glad we don't see. Yeah. I'm glad we don't see. Um, So whether or not that was, that's true. And that was the intention. I think the film is better off that we have no idea what, Heather, and that
1: unfortunately, you do see, I guess, the CGI representation of that in that Blair Witch film, because that is essentially how they rendered the Blair Witch looking in that film when you see her at the end, is this so white, slender man type figure. So dumb. Yeah.
0: Yeah. It's so silly, because, like, you're not supposed to confirm if the witch, is, the witch is even real or not.
1: Yeah. Yeah, because the idea is that it could just be a couple of kids who were lost in the woods whose, you know, imagination ran away with them. Um, yeah, ironically, exactly. or perhaps purposefully, the filming uh, concluded on October 31st. Ha! Um, so that's fun. That's awesome. Yes. Um, so yes, um, one interesting, so they had 20 hours of footage uh, at the end of all this that they had to compress down into an hour and a half, essentially. Um,
0: it's a pretty short movie, Blair Witch Project it is
1: Um, and as a way to sort of gauge what they should and shouldn't cut out, they were showing various cuts and versions of it at film festivals um, to kind of gauge people's reactions, because there was a couple different alternate endings or alternate shot compositions of the ending um, that had different things that had different things in it um, that they were testing out Um, and different people responded to different things until we ended up with the final version of the film that we have today that was submitted to Sundance. Um, But there was a version that had, like, actual more gore in it. Um, There was a version of the ending that was a bit more explicit, um, and they found that the audiences were frustrated and upset that the ending, like, wasn't explained, so they were like, we're going to go with that one because that's unsettling. There's something out of the ordinary, You don't know what it is, but it's leaving people kind of off-kilter when they leave the theater. Um, So that's the version they went with, and then... I'm so glad they stuck to their guns. Yes. Now, the marketing. um, Mm. It's probably what the film is... I'm not going to say what the film is most famous for, because I feel like it's almost impossible to separate the final product of the film from its marketing efforts, because they work in tandem. Um, But this was the first time anyone was able to or thought to use the internet um, for marketing. This is, they had a website. Um, This was the first viral marketing campaign. And what they did was um, they purposely went after no-name actors, obviously, um, because these are people they could pretend were actually missing. Um, So they put up, they, at their showings and their screenings at film festivals, they handed out missing flyers, you know, saying like, yo, like these kids are still missing. You know, they were still looking for them. They had, um, newsreel style interviews, that stuff. Yeah.
0: I was old enough. I was old enough to remember seeing that stuff. Yeah.
1: And they're claiming, Yeah. So people thought, Oh my God, what the hell? Like these kids are, are missing. Um, we found their footage. Um, We've got this documentary. They put together a whole documentary um, that's very well put together. Like, it feels like one of those 90s, like, midday TV paranormal documentaries um, where, you know, they interview um, their professor, they interview Josh's girlfriend, they interview people who knew them um they interview you know like local historians who knew about the blair witch and and all that other stuff and they're like yeah like you know it's weird it sucks that these kids went missing you know it was called curse the blair witch and it aired on sci-fi so it wasn't like some podunk document like this was on a channel that you know you could find um and it aired it's also like
0: on youtube i'm pretty
1: sure it's now on youtube but when it originally aired it aired on sci-fi um right And it aired like all summer. Like, people were like eating this crap up. And like, they talked about the legend of the Blair Witch, the associations with Rustin Parr, the hunters who were like ritualistically killed, um, all this other stuff. And as a testament to how well this film um, posed itself as real, even to this day, I found the dossier, which was this like non fiction thing well it's fiction but it's meant to be like you know the non-fiction oh like here's our companion piece to yeah the Blair Witch Project or whatever um where they kind of it's basically just the documentary in book form um mm-hmm. but I found it in a used bookstore shelved in like the non-fiction section and it said like in the thing like non-fiction question mark like the person wasn't sure what the book whether because you know you look inside and it's collections of interviews it's it's news footage and stuff so right it still gets people sometimes
0: um, it does, yeah especially if you're you know if you're not a horror person
1: yeah. and
0: you're just you know just know, you just know that it was a, a big deal when it happened like you could still be just thinking like oh yeah that was that was real right
1: yeah and this worked because the internet wasn't a huge thing nobody had done something on this scale before of positing something as truth This way with so much like additional augmented media. Um, They had actors posed as police officers giving testimony, fake childhood friends, or maybe even their real childhood friends that they were just like, pretend your friend is missing. Um, Like all this crazy, crazy shit. Um, And I'm not even sure like how it came out that, you know, it's not real or if there was a bubble burst or people started to realize it, but you know, now we obviously know it's not real, but there are still people to this day who are like, but is it real? I don't know, I don't know. Um but yeah, it was like it was not the first found footage film, it was not the first mockumentary film, but it definitely used everything it had at its disposal in nineteen ninety four to to do something completely different, um, that we really hadn't seen before in in that genre.
0: hmm It's wild. Totally wild. And Ended up becoming a massive success. Yes.
1: yes. Yeah, for so. $60,000, it made half a billion.
0: That's insane. That's insane. I
1: think the only film that had a better return than it was Paranormal Activity. Mm. Because Paranormal Activity was made with even less money.
0: Less money, yeah. I can see that. I that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah Total Sleeper hit. Dominated the summer of 1999. Um, I, I ran probably probably almost uh, into the fall, almost into October. I, I feel like I remember it being in theaters for a really, really long time. Um, still to this day, of course, it is, um, is wildly successful um, when... It's returns are looked at, um, critically well-lauded as well at the time, include, and now as well, um, for being innovative and, um, the way it presented itself for its marketing, which some people debate, should that be taken into account when looking at the film just as a film? Who's to say, um kind of like Miss Mel said, it's hard to separate the two. Um, cause Blair Witch Project is almost just like a beast.
1: Yeah. It was, uh, uh described oh. as a manifestation of multimedia synergy.
0: Oh. By
1: Entertainment Weekly.
0: Oh, good job, Entertainment Weekly. Yes. Good job. good job. Yeah. And, um, but of course it has its critics as well. It had some critics at the time. Um, My
1: sister walked out. Everything always does. My sister walked out of the theater. Yeah, she did not because she didn't understand it. She was like, "This is fucking stupid. I don't know what this is." Yeah, Um, and walked out, which I think was the opinion of a lot of people at the time. Um, Mm -hmm. It was a little bit polarizing in the late not well, I guess obviously the late nineties because the film came out in nineteen ninety nine, as we said, even though it takes place in nineteen ninety four. So you know, at the time, people were like, "I don't. It's kind of weird. I don't know."
0: Yeah, there was some people called it boring.
1: People still call it boring.
0: So, yeah, so a critique it gets now. Um, I don't want to call that an uneducated critique. <laughs> it's one However. T- it's one I'm tired of hearing and explaining why it's not boring. No, and I think
1: it's a lazy. Um, uh,
0: yeah, I think it's lazy.
1: It's a lazy critique of.
0: Lazy is good. Um, another one that it gets is that it's messy and that it's a, a, a bit too chaotic, and that the only reason it was successful was because it benefited from the first truly successful viral um, marketing campaign and the use of the internet and 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 what have you. Um, I would argue that the film being messy is very significant yeah. for the work as a piece of art. Um, that it's that,
1: messy, that we can keep up with it, that you can continue to like piece together.
0: Yeah, and that that it that that it's the point of the film. Like if this was truly found footage from three kids lost in the woods, it would be messy. Yeah. Um and there's nothing more chaotic than the idea of chasing your tail in the woods. Yeah. When you're lost. Um of course that's meant to be um a sort sort of jarring right? We should be a bit disoriented. We should be like, wait, now what's going on here? Because they're saying that too. That's their experience. They're starting to lose that tether of reality. Um, And you can't ignore the fact, and this was tough to comprehend at the time, but we can't ignore the fact now that with found footage, the medium is often the message. Yeah. So when Blair Witch Project came around, horror was horror had just kickstarted into this postmodern meta phase, right? Yeah. You had Scream, you had Urban Legend. Um, and the I mid- know what mid- you
1: did last summer.
0: A yeah, bit. I know what you did last summer. This is all going on in the, in the mid-90s. And then we roll on to the late 90s, and the meta phase, the postmodern phase, peaks hard with Blair Witch Project. yeah because the fictional was now truly masquerading as the real. It wasn't just the fictional acknowledging what it, its place in horror and commenting on it. It, was, it. was It was an entirely different level. So for the first time, I think, we're getting this kind of film, this found footage film where we're meditating on the ways in which looking through a camera changes our perception of reality. Yeah. It changes and it can change our distance from reality, which is something that is crucial to Heather's character in the story.
1: And you mentioned when we talked about Blair Witch before, this in combination with the twenty four hour news cycle.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, do we want to talk about that a little bit? We can, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, so let's think about that guys. Let's think about, you know, Blair Witch Project, something and then another critique that comes up a lot is that oh, it's so much a product of its time. Why is and, that a critique? <laughs> yeah, and I'm like, here's the thing. That's what makes it so great. Yeah, it is. It, it does echo the time in which it was made. Which that's a stupid thing to say because all films echo the time in which art mirrors made.
1: life, life mirrors art. And art. Exactly. It's a you vicious can't cycle.
0: A film that transcends the time in which it was made. That's just impossible. Yeah. It's. Again, it's, it, and also the, that's the point of four. Whatever, I don't have time to digress on that. But, <laughs> <laughs> so as Blair Witch Project happens, it's 1999. The rise of the 24-hour news cycle is at its peak. And what else is happening at the beginning of the rise of the 24-hour news cycle? The impeachment process of Bill Clinton dominates the news cycle. Absolutely, completely inescapable in 1999. Clinton is, of course, at the time, looked at as having been a relatively effective president, pretty good commander in chief, as it were. Um, He does good things for the economy, uh, boom to the nation, uh, fixes the recession, blah, 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 blah. And now suddenly there's this narrative that he's a big creep. Yeah. And that he's a perv. and And not only is he a big creepy perv, but he's a big creepy perv in the Oval Office. Like, ew. Yeah. Uh, Ew. Yeah. And then, and then so the question, should he be impeached? Is he worthy of impeachment? Personal versus uh, professional, private versus, you know, blah, 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 blah. Or was he both things at the same time? Yeah. You know, this moral relativity Moral relativity was huge in the 1990s, especially when it came to horror.
1: fall of communism, Gulf
0: War. Mm -hmm. And so think, thinking about that, this moral relativism, thinking about the 24 hour news cycle and looking at the Blair Witch Project, you're getting a much larger story. You're getting a much larger, um, sense of significance about what this movie meant at the time and what it was doing. Um, because when it comes right down to it, right, the technology, both in the news cycle and in this story, it's not helping them get their answers. No.
1: And it's it's painting a filter over, over what's happening. If anything, it's a detriment.
0: It's a detriment. There was, Bill Clinton, of course, was not impeached from, not removed from office. I should say he was impeached. They were in the
1: process of impeachment, but his term ran out before they could truly.
0: Yeah. So he wasn't removed from office. There were, the question still just kind of died because the ter, his term was over. So there was never a definitive decision on, is he a good person or a bad person? Is he a good president or a bad president? Or was he both? And in the film, they don't get their answers either. The Having those cameras there doesn't give them a shield from the Blair Witch, it doesn't mm-hmm. give them an edge over uncovering the truth behind this legend it, as we've talked about, it distances Heather from accepting what's going on.
1: Yeah. It,
0: it prevents her from accepting the reality and admitting sooner that they're lost, which if she had done, maybe there would have been a chance for them.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: So I just think it's an interesting angle to take um, when thinking about it, because it might seem so silly now because we've advanced so much since then, but at this time and at the turn of the century, the late 90s, there was so much technology... At people's disposal that had not been available to anybody before mm-hmm. um, but despite that nobody could agree on you know the most basic facts let alone the interpretation of those facts yeah yeah which I think we can all
1: yeah still and to this I day think. people still like will debate amongst each other what the ending means You know, should they have done this? Should they have done that? Is it a metaphor for this? Etc. I mean, it's... And obviously these are things, you know, where you make something, you put it out into the world, and the world will do with it what it will do. But, you know, the pieces were there, where, you know, they were in 1999. They were, you know, at the fall of communism, post, you know, near world-ending disasters like Chernobyl, post the Gulf War, um... You know, Clinton, Desert Storm, Storm, the Clinton administration and all this stuff where it's, you know, and it's kind of even you can track it as the birth, you know, as as we know today, now we learn the hard way the the um, toxic presence of media in in our country, in our politics, what the lens can do, what it what it can roadblock what it can like severely have consequences for. But you can look at Blair witch in 1999 and say like, you know, this is, you know, it's almost like, it's like a you know, a metaphorical 1984 of media, you know, mm-hmm. this is, this is what it could become. This is how much you could fuck yourself over. If you allow that lens, allow that technology, allow the nar- the unreliable narrator, um, yeah. to guide you through, you know, factual, supposedly factual events. Um, and I think, you know, again, do you want to take the legacy and the meaning of the film versus the meaning of the film itself? That's, you know, up to you to debate how you want to look at the film that way. But that is, you know, a reading of the whole thing that can't really be ignored.
0: No, no absolutely not, right? Yeah, it's this its this struggle to make sense, right? To take that anxiety that we all have around... Uh, this new technological age. Yeah. You know, then as now and try and find sense and reality and come up with truth for ourselves based on pieces that sort of refuse to be put together. Um,
1: pretty wild. Yeah, no, I, I, you get me started, and this is a hill I will climb vigorously and then die on. Um, <laughs> because a lot of people have very strong opinions about this film. A lot of people have very douchey opinions about this film, to be candid. Um, mm. And I think you really need to dig into 1999, to to horror in that time, to life and politics in that time, and just, you know see, see how, you know, this was the, not the first found footage film, but the first modern found footage film and kind of popularized the media, I think for Western English speaking audiences um, until you get what we have today, which is a whole slew of them to the point now where people are like, Oh my God, not another found footage film, Um, which, you know, people still say like, it's just a Blair Witch ripoff. It's just, you know, it's, it's a watered down version of it, but there are some, some pretty good ones out there.
0: Yeah, definitely.
1: Yeah, Um, I do think the first Paranormal Activity, even though it's kind of been brought down a bit by its predecessors, even the second one was pretty good. Um, I think the first one did a very, very good job of using tension just basically to keep a captive audience. Um, Because so much doesn't happen in that film for a long time. And you're just staring at these people sleeping. Um, And it actually sort of used the um, jump scare artfully and used it as part of you know, an intelligent part of, of what was stressing people out while watching this film, because you were like, When's it? it's coming, it's coming, I know it's coming. And the whole point is that you're just kind of tied to your seat while you're watching this. Right. Um, and I think that did a very good job. And also, I felt like those characters, um, you know, while they didn't have quite the depth that, you know, you had with Heather and Mike and Josh, or the the sort of good chemistry between them the way they did, I still think that amongst found footage characters, they were still fairly... Mika and and Katie um were fairly well put together.
0: Yeah, I know, I agree. Yeah. I'm a um uh thinking about sort of like that that slow build of tension when it comes to found footage where focusing on atmosphere rather than jump scares, I really like um Lake Mungo.
1: Yes, yes, Yes.
0: Um, which does a great job of that. There's not, I think if there is a jump, jump scares, I think there's only like one or two.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, but it's, it, it's a really great film about sort of capturing a sense of dread. And it's again, another one of those quasi like documentary meets found footage things mm-hmm. uh, about the disappearance of a, of a teenage girl in Australia and, um, the effect it has on her family and what, is really happening or the death of a teenage girl. I can't remember. Yeah.
1: Regardless. (laughs) A teenage girl.
0: Yeah. yeah, A really, really good one. Um, another one that I like, um, is the den. Yes. Yeah. Uh, which is very much kind of several generations down from the Blair Witch project, just in terms of the technology it utilizes. Um, but I think it does a really good job of it with, um, bringing, uh, social media and heavy personalized use Mm -hmm. of technology into the picture, um, Skype and, uh, what have you, um,
1: which they use uh, in unfriended the entire thing is Skype conversation
0: unfriended, not so bad. Um, and yeah, but, but What's interesting I think even with these uh future ones that we're talking about now is you it's still rare to find a found footage film um that uh refuses to show the monster like Blair yes Mitchell. yeah yeah eventually they all capitulate and give in yeah um But I'm not saying that's necessarily a bad thing. That's a big part of horror is showing us the monster and then confronting the monster and restoring normalcy. But sometimes it's not.
1: Yeah. Um, Which is why I really hated Blair Witch, which was the 2016 sort of reboot Yeah, sequel to this um, which first of all I called what they were doing from a mile away months before they did it they thought they were funny Uh, the film was originally marketed as the woods um, and it just had you know pictures of trees like the poster was like pictures of trees and it's red hue and they didn't disguise it very well like I don't know if they thought that they were doing a good job or they were just like oh people will find this funny because you know you read the synopsis and I was like this sounds like Blair Witch And then they announced at Comic-Con in 2016, oh, surprise, it's actually Blair Witch. The real title of the movie is Blair Witch, and it was just really annoying. Um, But the film was about... it was bad. It was bad. It was about Heather's secret brother, um, who's like, oh, my God, that's my sister. My sister, who I guess I haven't cared about, you know, for the past 19 years, 18 years or whatever, suddenly he, you know, he's like, that's my sister. She's in the woods. We have to go get her. In 2016 uh decides to go out with his friends for another found footage adventure into the woods. It's terrible. It's really bad. They show the witch towards the end, which is terrible and bad.
0: And the the um the sequel too is bad.
1: Yes, Book of Shadows is not a found footage film. It's an omniscient camera. Um it's really weird.
0: Yeah, those aren't those aren't good. If you want to hear us talk a little bit more about that, I think in episode six or
1: seven yeah we, we do it I think pretty minute. early
0: um but yeah one of our early episodes we were like this is shitty and here's why
1: yeah <laughs> no if you want to get your other Blair Witch content watch the mock the, the, uh, the other mockument the documentary the fake documentary about the fake documentary Blair Witch Project
0: Fake documentary um the fake
1: documentary. and then the dossier which is basically the documentary but has some other tidbits in it um there was also released in 2000 2001 if you want to be like weird um there was a YA book series that has eight books in it if you can believe that um called the Blair Witch Files <laughs> yeah. um so go go for that deep cut if you truly want wow um,
0: okay all right okay. i
1: can't i can't say they're good or not but you know
0: but they exist yeah if you want them yeah yeah, yeah and and check out you know some of the other good found footage out there. Um it's it's interesting to to see what current found footage takes from Blair Witch Project and doesn't take. Yeah. Um
1: I think no one is going to try, from what I've seen, they'd make, you know, the hokey sort of thank you at the beginning to the family and friends of the people in the film, but nobody's trying to posit anything as as a deep
0: fake or anything like that right the only one I can think of that and they, and they didn't even really go they didn't go super deep with this but um, just the way they set it up works well is Wreck
1: um, yes yeah not to be confused with the American version
0: quarantine no not to be confused with it which I don't like as much no. it's not bad they cut
1: they- out and they cut out a lot of the stuff at the end where you realize what's going on they kind of water it down
0: yeah, it's whatever. There are worse remakes, but there are also better ones. And also stop remaking. You don't need to. Yeah. Um, oh, another one that I like, very different from Paranormal Activity, but um, The Bay.
1: The Bay is so good. The Bay, yeah. No, and The Bay I like because it's across different. It like uses closed captioning, or not closed captioning, closed circuit film, TV or cameras. It uses yeah. phones, so that's a fun one. Yeah, and you know you could still be in the spirit of Fourth of July with it if you really wanted to. It's a Fourth of July horror film.
0: Yeah, it's a yeah. That's a, yeah. It's a good one for summer. Yeah. For sure. But yeah, Blair Witch kids. Yeah. So that is our deep dive into the Blair Witch Project. Happy twentieth birthday. Yep. To BWP. <laughs> what a wild ride it has been. It'll be very interesting to see. What found footage looks like in the next. Yeah. Decade. If
1: it still exists, if it, if it elevates, if it disappears, if 30 yeah. years from now they're, they're like, oh, remember this lost art found footage? We're going to bring it back.
0: Right, right. Because, you know, a ton of, a ton of found footage um, gets released for indie horror. Yeah. You know, yeah, because it's straight cheap. To, straight to DVD and VOD. Yeah. Okay, cheap so can like. You get your theatricals, you get your unfriendeds, and you get your, and your cam.
1: Your, uh, what was that? The gallows.
0: Yeah. Um, so it's, it's still, it's still a genre that the, the, the big studios are interested in promoting. Um, but, but there hasn't been quite a cultural touchstone with found footage since paranormal activity. Yeah. Um, which actually wasn't that much longer. That was, it was only eight years after Blair Witch Project.
1: I th- you're right. You think about it, and you're like, oh, yeah, forever ago. And then you're like, wow, Blair Witch Project only came out in <laughs> well, 1999.
0: So, yeah, they were within 10 years of each other, but they feel like completely different eras. Yeah. Um, and Because, in a sense, they are. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so it'll be interesting to see where found footage goes. The legacy of Blair Witch Project and its DNA will just be embedded in, um, in found footage and in horror in general just because – it's impossible to avoid at this point. Yeah. So that's how that goes. Nice. And if you want to talk to us about all things Blair Witch, we would love that. And there's lots of ways in which you can do that. Mm hmm mail, will you tell them how? Sure.
1: So you can email at us at splatterchatter669 at gmail.com. If you want to send us a nice long email, you can tweet us at splatterchatter666, minus all the vowels, on Twitter. If that's too difficult, just type us in. We'll pop right up. You can tweet us. You can find us on Instagram at splatterchatter666. You can find us on Tumblr at splatterchatter.tumblr.com. And you can find Mr. Kreger's blog at splatterchatter666.blogspot.com. Woo. And there are deeper ways you can get involved, which Miss Craggers, Miss Craggers. Oh my goodness, I'm going mad. Mr. Craggers, or whoever he wants to be, will explain to you now.
0: You are losing it. I am. Josh, Josh, Mike. Um if you want to go deep into the woods of supporting Splatter Chatter, you can visit our Patreon page at patreon.com/splatterchatter666. If you choose To pledge a a monthly donation to us, we will give you cool perks and rewards in return. If you can't choose to pledge a monthly donation to us, but you still want to show us how much you love us, give us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher on SoundCloud, because that's just as valuable as your monetary love. And we'll take it. We'll take it like a big girl and a big boy. Oh, boy. (laughs) And on that note... (laughs) speaking of losing it to to get the hell out of here and cross the log back into sanity Woo! so you guys we of course want to remind you to keep up the creep as the summer rolls along and until we talk to you next time we will say au revoir adios and vidania.